Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us for our online worship service of God here at Open Table United Methodist Church. Today is Sunday, May 22nd, and we are so glad that you have tuned in to join us in worship today. We have some announcements to get started. First off, we are still collecting items for the kindness kits. The list of the things that we are still in need of is in the newsletter. And the packing party will be on Saturday, June 4th at 10 a.m. We are also still having our weekly choir practice, which has been really fun. And uh, we'd encourage anybody to join us who feels like you might be interested in having a good time singing with us. Right now, the practice times are um, on Tuesdays from 5 to 6. But starting on June 7th, the time will change and it will be from 7 to 8. And the last but not least announcement for today is that we have been accepted to have a booth at this year's Out Raleigh Pride Festival. So we are super excited about that. Please mark your calendars for June 25th because that's when the festival will be. And we will hope to see you out there. And without further ado, we will uh, begin this week's service with our call to worship. We come this morning full of ourselves, our concerns, our plans, our opinions, our schedules. In this moment, help us empty our minds of the re re relentless I and make space for you. Enable us to put down our priorities, to set aside our assumptions and schemes. Open our hearts to recognize your love in action in our lives. Reassure us of your divine vision and let us rest in your unending care. As people of faith who have taken steps of faith because we sensed you were leading us, lead us, O oh Lord, to take new steps of faith that will carry us to paths of liberation and transformation. And now if you would, please bow your head and join me in prayer. Lord, your love knows no bounds. Help us to be ready for, make space for, and warmly welcome those among whom your spirit is moving. Aid your church at this time to be a safe place for all who are discovering your saving grace. May your kingdom come, and may we always remember the prayer you taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
Today's scripture lesson, friends, comes from the book of John. We're moving out of Acts today. Strap in, it's going to be great. It comes from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear now these words from John. Sometime later, Jesus up, went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsa, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been in this condition, waiting there for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thirty-eight years sick and longing for healing. I always get stuck on that part of the scripture lesson because I just cannot fathom 38 years of chronic illness. I can, to some extent, being the child of a parent who has struggled with chronic illness for a very, very long time, for the entirety of my life, actually. I've watched my mom be someone who struggles with chronic illness and nobility. But even then, with that very up-close picture of chronic illness, I still just cannot fathom 38 years of being chronically ill in biblical times, of wishing to be well and craving healing, especially not knowing the biblical context and what being a disabled person, unable to physically enter healing waters would mean. I just am always so caught and struck by how difficult this person's life has likely been. I haven't even been alive for 38 years, y'all. And that's not a brag, I'm just saying. I don't even know what it is to be alive for 38 years. Not, even, not much less to be alive for 38 years and exist in a body that ostracizes me for my community. 38 years of being sick. 38 years of illness. The scripture doesn't tell us directly who this man is. Just that he sits at a pool described as being healing waters, surrounded by other folks who are also need healing in some way, folks who are seeking healing, folks who have come here hoping to find it. Scripture tells us this man is surrounded by people who are blind and paralyzed and lame, people who struggle from a whole variety of medical conditions the biblical world did not yet understand. He's an exile. And we know enough to know that just from 
biblical context. As I read this scripture this week, friends, I got really excited because my liberal arts college degree is not useless. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, I went to Elon University. I am a proud Elon alumni and I majored in religious studies, which I am eternally deeply grateful for. And in that time period, I very intentionally took classes that were not around Christianity because I really wanted to learn about other faith traditions and other ways of life and other ways in which religions work and practice their faith. Um, I feel like that's really important as a faith leader, that I have that knowledge and understanding. And in that time period, I minored in peace and conflict studies and Jewish studies. Jewish studies, which was solely on accident. <laughs> Um, I had no intention of pursuing a Jewish studies minor when I started taking all of these classes around Judaism and the Jewish tradition. Truthfully, I just loved it. It ended up being what I wrote my thesis for graduation within and Jewish studies. I just loved. I loved the professor. I loved the classes and it became my focus in undergrad very unintentionally, but thankfully. Not only because I deeply love the knowledge that I gained and I deeply love those years of learning, but because I read today's scripture and I recognized this pool from that knowledge. And I got so excited because I thought, oh my gosh, my student loans aren't useless. <laughs> They've helped me know something about one scripture. <laughs> that makes them worth it, right? I got excited because of the way in which that knowledge informed the scripture. That if I didn't have that knowledge or I hadn't then done further research into the knowledge that I had, the scripture is very different. Knowing the Jewish background of what's happening in the scripture, knowing the Jewish tradition reframes this man, it reframes this story, and it reframes his entire interaction with Jesus. It reframes the waters and the physical setting of this interaction. What these healing waters are, friends, are not just random waters. They're not just a body of water that people have come to because it's rumored to be healing. Um, it's not a magical spring like in Tuck Everlasting where you drink the water and you live forever. These waters are not like a community pool or a bath. While the biblical language that we read doesn't use the word, this, friends, is a mikvah. And that is where my Jewish studies, my biblical scholar self just like nerds out. When I realized this was a mikvah, I got really excited because mikvahs are incredibly beautiful. They have a rich and long tradition. And so, what is a mikvah? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> If you already know, that's fine. And I should say that while I read the scripture and I was like, this is a mikvah. That's what this is about. Um, I did then go and do actual research into this specific healing body of water to confirm that it is a mikvah because I want to make sure that I am correct and not making improper assumptions, even if it's something I have knowledge and a degree in. A mikvah, friends, is an important part of the ritual life 
of the Jewish faith tradition, especially in biblical times. A mikvah is a body of water that is naturally occurring. And by that, I mean that it is like a collection of rainwater. They're usually set down into the ground. And it's something where a person submerges themselves completely. This practice of submersion into mikvahs are as old as the book of Leviticus itself, if not older. Mikvahs are a religious instrument in which a person enters this ritual cleansing bath and emerges clean spiritually. They emerge purified. And this is really important for biblical times because the list of things that make a, portent, a person impure in biblical times is astronomical, right? By old school things, the things that, by old school biblical times, the things that make you impure are any and everything, honestly. You are impure if you've been bleeding. You're impure if you've encountered blood. You're impure if you encountered a corpse. If you are ill, if you have suffered from an illness, if you've consumed improper foods, if you've come in contact with impure animals, if you have committed impure sexual acts, the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> In order to enter the temple for worship in biblical times, a person had to first be cleansed. They must first be completely submerged in holy water. Every centimeter of them, from skin to every hair to the tip of every part of their body, had to simultaneously be in contact with water and a prayer recited. Only then was a person considered clean and then able to enter the temple for worship. Today, mikvahs have evolved as the Jewish tradition has evolved. They're not something that larger culture necessarily has a knowledge of. And within Judaism itself, it's maybe not as prominent. Judaism is like a lot of other religions. There's a lot of different branches and schools of thought. There's folks who are in the process of reclaiming mikvahs because they evolved and became something which was used primarily for women because of menstrual bleeding. Parts of the Jewish tradition are trying to reclaim mikvahs as not just being oppressive towards women for their bodies. There are branches of the Jewish tradition that still use them extremely regularly, more what we might consider traditional or old school, branches of the Jewish tradition, such as the Hasidic tradition. Mikvahs are divided by gender, as would be proper, because in order to enter the waters, you had to be stripped of every earthly thing. That meant you were going to be naked. <laughs> you were not going to be wearing clothes. You're not going to be wearing jewelry. You're not going to be wearing head wraps or hair coverings. You were completely stripped down to how you were born into this world. Mikvahs were for any and everyone in their historical tradition to experience healing and cleansing and to be made holy. They were for everyone to enter and then be allowed to go into the temple. There would be an attendant waiting for folks there. 
who was supposed to help assist folks into the mikvah. At least in common practice, that is how it is. Interestingly enough, for a really long time, for most of Christian history, we didn't think these healing pools were real because we couldn't find them. <laughs> we thought maybe this was a metaphor. And then in the 1800s, I think like the 1880s, these healing pools, this mikvah was actually found in Jerusalem. And that was because it had been constructed over top of, and it was found in an archeological dig. And what that told us was that the mikvah mentioned in today's scripture did actually exist. It's a real place. These healing bodies of water were real. You can go see it. You can, I was going to say you can touch it, but you probably shouldn't touch it. Um, you can see it. You can experience it. You can look at pictures. You can look at maps of what it would have looked like in Jerusalem. Um, hopefully that's going to come up on your screen in a second, but you can see there's a temple on this map and then you can see the waters, these healing waters that we're talking about in this scripture, sort of off to the side a little bit. And so folks would have entered those waters and then made their way to the temple. To give you an idea of some more modern mikvahs, they do exist. We can look at this ancient mikvah and it is old, but there are modern ones built all throughout history. Um, the one that I have seen in person and that I still get really excited about and love showing people pictures of and talking about is one that I saw in Montpellier in France that was constructed in the 12th century. Um, so it is still quite old and compared to this one modern. You can also Google modern day mikvahs and they look kind of like spas, <laughs> modern American mikvahs. Um, so then why, I guess, does this matter? Why have I just gone on a tangent about mikvahs? I do have a deep love for them. I do nerd out about them, but it actually matters a lot to this story. Knowing that these are not just any healing pools, that these aren't just any waters, that this is not just another day or just another man is really important to this scripture. This friends is a man who is likely incredibly devout in some form or another in his Jewish faith. He has come to the mikvah, to these healing waters on the Sabbath day, seeking to be cleansed and hopefully healed of his long-standing illness because rumor has it these waters can do that and he's likely doing so so that he can enter the temple and then enter worship and then be considered a person who is clean and then actually be an active part of the community he lives in because so long as he is somebody who has not undergone ritual cleansing and who is sick and ill he's not considered a part of his community this is not just a guy chilling by a magic pool. This is not just someone sunbathing at a Hilton. This is a person of faith seeking to, reform, to perform a ritualistic act. And it's in that seeking that he meets Jesus. It should not be lost on any of us that Jesus is in fact a Jewish person, y'all. Jesus is not a white American. Jesus was indeed Jewish. 
And while we do often see him violate Jewish law, in fact, he does it in this scripture because he heals on the Sabbath, which is not allowed. He also upholds a number of religious practices. We see that throughout his life too. No person, Jesus likely included, would have been somebody who just hung around at a mikvah because as I mentioned, people who were there would have been unclean, people would have been stripping down, and you do not want to be the weirdo who just hangs around that, right? Not socially acceptable. And while Jesus does a lot of socially unacceptable things, I don't think he's doing that. I think it's fair for us to assume that Jesus is likely here to practice his own ritual bathing. He's likely here so that he can enter the waters that are cleansing and then enter the temple himself. If not for that, then he's at least here to encounter other people trying to enter the waters. It would seem this man's health keeps him from entering the water of the pool. But still, he is here. The scripture tells us he's been there a while, and who knows how long a while is, hours, days, weeks, months, but he's been here a while, and he's been sitting near the water that will supposedly heal him, but he's not able to enter. And we have to wonder how many times over the past 38 years he's found himself at the edge of the waters, at the edge of what should be his full healing and he's been unable to be fully submerged. The scripture seems to suggest he spent 38 years waiting to enter the waters that are promised to heal. Jesus approaches this man for what I think for us is a really unknown reason. And we can like speculate a lot about it. We could speculate why Jesus approaches this guy of all guys. But the truth is, this water, this area, it is full of sick people. It's full of people who my guess is they long to be healed because they're there at the waters too. But for some reason, Jesus approaches only this man and he asks him, do you want to be made well? Which is a really interesting question. And this man's response is also interesting because he doesn't answer Jesus' question. He does to Jesus what Jesus often does, which is dodge a question and talk about something completely different that doesn't maybe make sense. This man doesn't answer yes or no, but rather he points out that he doesn't have a choice. Whether or not he wants to be made well isn't the point. It doesn't matter. He tells Jesus, I have no one to put me in the water when the water is stirred up. And when it is stirred up, when I'm headed towards it, another always steps down in front of me. And this is important, friends, because around this particular healing pool, these particular waters, it was rumored that if you were the first person to get into the waters after they were stirred up, you would be cured of your ailment. It would seem this man is always passed in line. Folks always look over him and hop in front of him when he's found a way to get close to getting in the water. 
Whenever he's first in line, he loses that spot, perhaps because of other people's own concerns with their own healing. He tells Jesus he's had no one to help him get into the water. And maybe they don't help him because of their own concern with helping themselves or because they don't want to touch someone who's ill and impure if they're going to be submerged into waters to be made pure. Maybe they just don't want to let him go first because there's not enough healing in their minds to go around. These waters don't seem to be abundant. 38 years has indeed been a long time. This man answers Jesus and he points out it doesn't matter whether or not he wants to be well. It's not a question of whether or not he wants to be well. It's a matter of the world allowing him to be well. It's a matter of the fact that it's not that he doesn't want those waters, it's that he quite literally cannot get to them. Having heard his answer, Jesus says to him, arise, take your mat, walk, and immediately he does it. Immediately, he's healed. Scriptures like this are so difficult to me because we see a miracle. We see a man who is healed and that is a miracle, friends. We can't deny it. We see this man healed on the Sabbath, knowing Jesus is persecuted for doing those kinds of things. And we wonder, what about all those other people? Because for us, justice would be Jesus healing everybody there, left and right, right? You get healed and you get healed. Jesus would be Oprah, throwing around miracles to everyone. What about the other sick and ill people that Jesus just left there? What about the people sitting in the water waiting for their bodies to be better? Jesus doesn't heal any of them. He just approaches this man off to the side, unable to get in the water at all. Justice in the scripture isn't what we think of justice as. Bodily healing is a difficult subject to preach on because in Christianity it gets so, so complex. And theologically, we can suggest some really harmful things about what it is to be disabled and able-bodied, about healing and being made whole, meaning that you are able-bodied. What I like to remind people is that healing in scripture always happens when there's something deeper at work. Jesus never just heals people's body. There's something else happening that's more significant. In fact, I would almost argue it's not really about their bodies at all. I don't think Jesus cares about their bodies being disabled. I don't think he views that as unholy. We see that Jesus heals people's lives in a very holistic way. 
Anytime Jesus heals someone, we see that it is perhaps the first time in their life they are seen, they are cared about, they are prioritized, they are touched. They're given community. Healing for Jesus doesn't seem to be bodily focused at all. It's focused on giving people a holistic life. Focused on giving people love and care and community where they haven't have it, had it. Focused on giving a man who spent 38 years being impure and longing for water something else. Focusing on allowing him to enter the temple that he hasn't entered in 38 years if he hasn't entered the water. One of the amazing gifts we see in this passage is that healing with Christ happens no matter what. Healing is possible. Cleansing can happen. Restoration can happen. Whether or not a person is allowed to enter the waters that will do so. Right? If folks sit like this man barred from their turn and ever surpassed, not allowed to get in with no one even willing to help them, denied water that might transform them, Jesus can still work. The scripture tells us that healing, that water is important. It's important beyond Christianity's history healing water it's been a part of religious practices from the beginning of time and jesus doesn't invent baptism he doesn't invent the practice of being submerged in water he doesn't invent the practice of being spiritually cleansed what he does is he just sort of recycles and reframes it in the methodist church we practice baptism in the Christian church, we practice baptism. We do not ritually cleanse ourselves in mikvahs. And we believe we don't need a constant submersion or cleansing in order for Christ to be close to us, in order to be worthy of entering the temple or to be touched or restored to community or loved. We believe we only need baptism once. And that once is just as much about our own cleansing if as it is about giving us community, if not more about giving us community and dedicating ourselves to be a community that's gonna love the person before us. Baptism is a beautiful act. And much like this scripture, Jesus doesn't need water to ensure that cleansing and restoration could happen. We are a people who can be healed, who can have hope in that even if we are being surpassed and blockaded by the world, that Jesus would come to us. That Jesus can transform us beyond what the world understands as the boundaries for being able to transform. Thanks be to God.
As you leave today, friends, I want to invite you to hear this prayer. Oh God, we ask that we would be a people who are blessed by you, a people who are found by you and touched by you and loved by you, that we would know all of those things to be true that we would be transformed by the constant waters of mercy and grace and justice and love that flow upon us every day. That we remember our baptism as an ongoing and, long, as an ongoing and lifelong formation. That we would remember any time water touches our bodies, any time we're submerged, and any time we drink water that we are sustained by you. That you place water on earth. That you mixed us together with it. 
and you bring us into community with you, with or without it. Amen. Go in peace, friends. I hope to see you soon.